Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. It begins at zero. You start learning a language. And I would say for me, that was one of the most painful things I ever did. And French isn't that hard. Arabic was hard. We studied Arabic. I said studied. We studied Arabic. But French was the main ministry language. And we, we jump in and, you know, the, the, the nerve of these teachers, they don't speak to you in English to tell you to turn to page whatever. They just start talking and you've got to figure it out. That's painful. One time I was walking down the street in our first couple months of living in France, and, and this little boy came up next to me. He was about six or seven years old, and he, and he asked me a question, and I answered it. I thought I was doing pretty well to be able to understand, number one, and be able to respond. And he looked at me. He wasn't being mean. He was just being very honest. He said, we don't talk like that. <laughs> I'm thinking, I used to could talk. Now a six-year-old is correcting me. But, you know... There's also a benefit to studying and learning another language. And you know what that is? It's reading the Word of God in another language. Why is that a benefit? Because if any of you are like me, sometimes we, we get to the Word of God and we read, and especially those passages that are familiar, we have a tendency to read right through them and not stop and hear the Spirit of God say what He needs to say to us. And so when we read in another language, we're, we're having to go through slowly by necessity. And we hear and see things, but sometimes the translation is such that it helps us delight in God, in, as we just have in music, in new ways. Let me explain. In Psalm 67, this is how we read verses 1 and 2 in English. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, let me read that to you in French. And this is how it translates into French. Que Dieu nous fasse grâce, que nous bénisse, que nous regarde avec bonté afin que sur la terre on reconnaisse comment tu interviennes, afin que toutes les nations voient comment tu sauves. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Some of you are like, wait a minute. Now, here's what's cool about it. In English, we read verse 2. It says that your, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Here's what the French translates. It says, may God be gracious to us. Here's the translation. So that all the earth would recognize how you intervene. That's the way of God. God's way, God's saving power, God's work is intervening in the lives of people who have no hope. Intervening in the lives of a creation that is, is under his curse. He didn't just set us on our course under the curse and say, oh, go figure it out. No, God's way is intervening. That's the God we worship this morning. That's the God who keeps his promises. So I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse 8. It 
And then we'll get into verses 14 and following Paul's testimony of how God's work in this world impacted him. Beginning in verse 8, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, the Gentiles, and sing to your name. Again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, or nations, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol you. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is the God who intervenes. Let's pray and ask God to guide our time as we look into his word this morning. Father, we do say again, great are you, Lord. You are glorious, you're wonderful. You're beautiful in every way. Father, you are worthy of our trust and confidence. You're worthy of our faith, our faith when things are going well, and our faith when things are turned upside down. You are worthy of the worship of all peoples. And this morning, as we walk through this passage, guide us to understand how you want us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. Who are the circumcision? That's the the Jewish people. And I'm going to have trouble if my notes do not work. I'm frozen. If I throw it, will someone catch it? Here we go. Don't retweet that. It works. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 8. Jesus Christ became a servant to the circumcision. Who is that? The Jews. And there's a reason. There are actually two reasons why Paul gives the fact that Jesus became a servant to the circumcision. The first is in order to confirm the promises made to the fathers or the patriarchs. Now, to understand that one phrase, the fact that Jesus Christ coming confirms the promises, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Adam and Eve were created as image bearers of God. They reflected the greatness of God and he gave them a responsibility. Go and multiply. He told them to fill the earth with image bearers and worshipers. And his purpose was that the whole world would enjoy and delight in him as we have this morning, as we sing together, as we pray together. And that was what they were given to do. However, we know the story, Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the world, and that changed everything. By chapter 8, we see that the world is not looking good at all. And facing the judgment of God, God floods the world and starts over and says, I'm going to do a new thing. He judges completely all of the people, 
And then coming out of the flood, what does God say to Noah? God blessed Noah, Genesis 9, verse 1, and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, the command is to multiply, to to make the earth a place of God worshipers, people who delight in him. As we get to chapter 11, we could ask a very simple question. How are the people doing in the response to God's command? Are they going and living out that fulfillment of God's command to make worshipers and fill the earth? No, as a matter of fact, they, they did something in complete rebellion to God's promise. What did they do? Genesis 11 says, The whole world now had one language and common speech. And as the men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said, Come, let's build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So instead of worshiping and delighting in God and His greatness and His beauty, they're looking to build themselves up and to make themselves the center of everything. Their intent was in direct rebellion to God and what he had been doing. And so what does God do? Seven verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 11. He confuses their languages. He says, The Lord scattered them from over the, all over the earth, and they stopped building the city, and they confused their languages. And coming to the end of Genesis 11, we see that God has a people scattered all over the world. They were not doing what he had told them to do. So what does he say? Uh, let's do it again. Let's start over. No, this is where God's intervention, Psalm 67, manifests itself as he makes some promises. First, to, Gen- to Abraham in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you and I will bless you. And here it is. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. We find out later that this blessing is salvation through faith that Abraham manifests as he obeyed God. So God blesses Abraham, and so he in turn would be an instrument of God's blessing to the peoples of this world. God makes the promise again. He makes it to Isaac in Genesis 26. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them these lands and their offspring and your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He doesn't stop there. Genesis chapter 28. Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, God says to him, Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north and the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. The mission for everyone as a part of God's family is to be a blessing. The Old Testament is filled with God working through his people and through their obedience and through their disobedience to make his name known among the peoples. Now, time out here. Something is starting tomorrow night. Have you heard about it? You want to get a great and amazing picture of the storyline of God's work through Scripture? Come tomorrow night. It is such a joyful time. You will look at your watch and say, where do these few hours go? As you walk through the Scriptures. But these are the promises that God made to the fathers. And and Paul says to the church in Rome that Jesus Christ came as a fulfillment 
to the promises that he made to the fathers. Friends, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He does not set us on a path and say, figure it out. No, God intervenes. God makes promises and he fulfills them. But there's a second reason why Jesus Christ came, not only to fulfill the promises that he made to the fathers, but there's a second thing that he says, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his grace. Now, it's important to understand the word Gentile here is the word ethne. It's from which we get ethnic or ethnicity or it's, it's the peoples. It's not just the non-Jews, it's people groups. What Paul is saying is that all the peoples who are not Jews will glorify God for his mercy, for his grace. Let me ask a question. How many in here this morning have Jewish ethnic heritage? One, two, three, four, five. This is the most I've seen in a long time. Five or six? Excellent. I have good news for the rest of you. (laughs) The good news of Jesus Christ is not just for these five or six people. It's for you as well. It's for everyone, Paul says. Jesus Christ came as a fulfillment to the promises God made to the Father. And Jesus Christ came so that the nations, the ethne, would glorify God for his worship. You say, well, we know that. We're here, aren't we? But listen, don't miss the amazing nature of this. Paul quotes four different passages from the Old Testament to confirm what he's saying. This was such a big deal. The Jewish people had become so ethnocentric, as it were. It's about them and not lived out their purposes as they should have. And God said, this is for everyone. Look what he says, verse 9. Therefore, I will praise you among the ethne, the nations, and sing your name. Now he calls the nations to join with the people of God. Verse 10, rejoice, O nations, with his people. Verse 11, he says, now now go worship. You don't have to wait for the Jews to join in. Do it yourself. Look what he says. Praise the Lord, all ye nations, all you ethne, and let the peoples extol him. And then Isaiah says, verse 12, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the nations, and in him... Will the nations hope? Friends, God is doing exactly what he promised. God is fulfilling the promises he made to the fathers. And God is bringing the nations into worship. And he calls us to join him. Today, if we were to look around the world, we could spend literally a couple hours easily just dotting the different places where God is at work. But Who could miss what God is doing among Iranians today? In 1979, when the Ayatollah went from Paris, France, back to Iran, to Tehran, and started a revolution, there were 300 known followers of Christ. Today, the estimate is that there's well over a million Iranians who are following Christ. They are described as the most receptive people group in all the world who have Muslim background. I would love to tell you stories that if I could just point out this couple standing in front of a 
a Christmas tree is the couple that God's brought into our lives. And I would love to tell you their story of how God intervened and has opened their hearts and how they have responded. And they can't help but just tell everyone around them. And God is at work in amazing ways. God is at work among the Cabal people. A people that went through huge suffering, some 100,000 Cabal who were killed in a civil strife back in the 90s. And many of our friends who came to France were seeking reprieve from all of the horror that they had experienced in Algeria. But God used that which was terrible and he opened their hearts. And there's been a movement of God among the Cabal people that's been beyond what we could have imagined. A friend of mine was a, a translator. He would, um, he would do the... Uh, J. Vernon McGee, you remember his Bible class? He, this was the cabal voice of J. Vernon McGee, and it was not the same voice. It was not the same voice. Thank the Lord for that. But this brother, he would, he would translate and proclaim the, the, the scriptural truths that J. Vernon McGee was so talented in doing. And they would receive letters from these little places in northeastern Algeria, greetings from the church in such and such village. And they'd go and look around and say, did you know about a church there? No. Did you know about? No. And these churches were popping up as God was entering into their lives and bringing the word of God to them. And they were responding in amazing ways. And today, thousands of Kabul have come to faith in Christ and are standing boldly in the face of persecution, proclaiming the greatness of God. We could take time to go on and on, but the truth is, over the last few years, and 10 years or so, some 300 million people have turned to Jesus Christ. 10 million in North America and Europe, but the great majority in the developing world in Nigeria, Brazil, India, and China. I could tell you the stories of the Balochi people in southern Pakistan. I would love to tell you about the Tatar in Kazan, Russia who just a few years ago to become a follower of Christ meant to become Russian. But today they're able to worship God in their own language and culture. I would love to tell you about Hindus in Indonesia. Now there's a unique one. About Turks in northern New, in northern New Jersey. And I'd love to tell you about what God's doing about the, Af- in the Afghan community right up the road in Los, Los Angeles. Here's the point. God is at work. He is fulfilling his promises, and his promise is that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping around the throne of God. And we can stand on that promise. God doesn't call us to to go do something. He calls us to join him in his work. I love what Ralph Winter, the founder of the U.S. Center for World Mission, said. One of the most difficult tasks is to try and keep up with the things which God is apparently doing without asking us. Isn't that good? (laughs) God's at work, and he calls us to join him in what he's doing. So I ask a question. So what? Do we just sit back and, and, and kind of have that mentality, God, would you peel me another grape? Would you just soak me with more of your blessing? No, God calls us to be a part of what he's doing. And here's where we see this This passage from verses 13 and following that helps us to recognize how we can participate in God's work. And he calls us to do so. Verse 13, how do we respond to God's amazing and glorious work? We start by rejoicing. 
just as is natural when we hear about the, the work of God, Paul encourages his people in Rome. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and hope in believing. This is not something to sit back and go, oh, God will do his thing. No, this is something that causes us great joy. He is at work. This is not exclusive for certain people. This is not for certain language groups. God cares about everyone and he's fulfilling the promise. Jesus said, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After these things I looked and there was an enormous crowd no one could count, made up of persons from every tribe, nation, tribe, people, and language, rejoicing in God. Friends, I encourage you, I call you to delight in God. Make Him your treasure. Delight in what He's doing. And participate in it. We began in Psalm 67. We understood that God blesses His people. And the prayer is for blessing. But the purpose of that blessing is that the nations will know how God intervenes. So what is my part? What do we do in response? We rejoice. But look at verses 14 and following. Paul says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some of the points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, look at verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, the nations, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Some of you have no doubt read John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. I love his quote that he opens up in the book. It says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate because God is ultimate, not man. I firmly agree with that. But what Paul is telling us here in verses 14 through 16 takes it even a step further. Missions, Paul says, is worship. Missions is worship. Look what he says in verse 16. I have been a minister of Jesus Christ to the nations, the ethne, in the priestly service of the gospel. Offering the nations, the Gentiles, back to God. What was the ministry of the priest? Among other things, it was a ministry of worship. Offering the sacrifices back to a holy and worthy God. And Paul says, I'm giving the nations back to God. What I'm doing is my worship. Paul uses the term from which we get liturgy. It is my service, my liturgical service to give the nations back to God. Friends, God calls us not to see missions as something that we're obliged to do because I'll feel guilty if I don't. God calls us to engage the nations that He has promised to bring into worship as our worship to God. Missions is an act of worship. So as I respond to God keeping His promises, number one, I rejoice. His promises are for everyone. Number two, I recognize that my part is an act of worship. 
I give myself to it in the worship, the liturgical offering of the peoples to a great and glorious God. Number three, I respond by trusting God to do what I cannot do. Look at verses 17 through 19. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak in anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs of one, signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Let me make a confession here for a minute. I confess to you that there was a time that I would teach in Romans 15 and I would skip over these verses because I was afraid of being associated with certain people within the body of Christ who put an overemphasis on signs and wonders. And regretfully, when God pierced my heart, I, I would I'd just skip right over them and act like they weren't there. That's wrong. Because what Paul is saying is what God calls us to do is trust him for the miraculous. As a matter of fact, what God calls us to do in joining him in his work is not possible to be accomplished in my own strength. I can't do it. He calls us to be a part of something that's bigger than us. It's bigger than we have the capacity for doing. He calls us to trust Him. Elizabeth Elliot said this, there's no need for faith where there's no consciousness of the element of risk. He calls us to places where we need supernatural enablement to go and serve. George Peters said it this way, Christian missions is a supernatural venture. Hudson Taylor said it this way, the harvest here is indeed great. The laborers are few and imperfectly fitted without much grace for such a work. And yet grace can make a few feeble instruments the means of accomplishing great things. Things greater than we can conceive. Friends, does God do miracles today? He sure does. He sure does. And he calls us to trust him for that. I'd love to introduce you to one of our co-workers who came to France. She was a a second career person. She'd had a career working for AT&T as a computer analyst. And, and God pierced her heart for the, the immigrants, North African immigrants in France. And, and she gave up that career and she, she came over and she began studying. Learning a new language at 45 or 50 is not easy. It's not easy for many of us anytime, but especially at that age. And yet she persevered and she trusted God for the miraculous. One of the ladies that she was reaching out to had come to France from Algeria from a very painful, difficult background. And, and Marianne was reaching out to her and sharing God's love with her in tangible ways and the, with the word of God. One day she went to visit our friend and she was gone. She was in temporary housing, something that's available for a certain period of time. But she had left before her time had come to an end. And it did not have a, a forwarding address because that's, that's the lowest of the low where you go. There was nothing else to go to. And Marianne called us and said, Seda's gone. They don't know where she is. We've got to find her. And then Marianne said this, would you pray that God would help me find her? 
Now, again, this is my second confession. I said, yes, I would pray. And I did pray. But I will admit that I didn't believe she would find her. Leon was about one and a half million people at that time where we lived. There were 96 bus routes and about four or five metro routes. Here was Marianne's proposal. I'm going to get on the buses and I'm going to ride from one end to the route to the other. And I'm going to go through all 96 routes if it takes me that. And I'm going to look for Seda. Would you pray that God would help me find her? Go in please. (laughs) Well, you know why I'm telling you the story. She's riding on one of those bus routes. And she passes a bus stop. And who's sitting right there? And she stops the bus. She gets off. And today Seda is a sister in Christ. Because Marianne was willing to trust God for the miraculous. Friends, I tell our co-workers continually. It's possible to be a church planter among least reached peoples in a sinful way. Do you know how that is? I'm not talking about immorality or fraud. We do church planting. We minister even among the least reached in a sinful way when we do it in our own strength. God calls us to trust him for the miraculous. So I ask you this morning, what is taking place in your life that unless God shows up, will not be possible? If there's not something that cannot be described by other than God intervening, then this is a good time to to reflect before God and say, what do you want me to trust you for? So we respond to God keeping his promises by rejoicing. We respond in understanding that our involvement in his purposes is an act of worship. We respond in trusting him for the miraculous. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at what he says. Having preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, now he says this. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Friends, we participate and respond to what God is doing by understanding that there's more to do. The good news is today in the 11,000 or plus people groups around the world, over 7,000 of these people groups have a witness among them. Some 4,300 people groups have a viable church that is able to reach out and, and tell the good news to others within the community, within the people. But the bad news is today that there are some 3,000 people groups that do not have someone taking the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you help me out, Michael? Would you take that and walk over that way with it, please? All right. Some of those are sticking, but believe me, they're there. 3,000 plus peoples. No church. 
If there are any believers, they're just one or two. And no one who, thank you, Michael, who by God's grace is saying, I, we, will take the good news to them. Friends, there's still work to do. God is doing mighty things. God is accomplishing things that are beyond our imagination. But friends, there's still some 3,000 people groups who have no access in their own language, in their own culture, no one to say, God loves you. Jesus Christ gave his life so that you might have hope, that you might rejoice in the grace of God. There is still more to do. Paul goes on. And here are the two practical points of what is left for us this morning. I put a quote up related to that last point. The way to fulfill the Great Commission is not to settle down with the peoples that already have churches, even if that means going somewhere else in the world. It's to go where the peoples have no access to the gospel. Someone is going to have to cross a culture. Someone's going to have to learn another language. Someone is going to need to make that step beyond what's comfortable in order to take the good news. But Paul says, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Look at what he says in verses 20 and following. Verses 22 and following. For this reason, why I've so often been hindered in coming to you. What's that reason? Well, he was preaching from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And he wanted to go to Rome, but here's what he says. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions. In other words, I've taken the good news to people groups. There's the planting of the gospel and God is doing something, but he's got a a hope for something else. Look at it. Since I've longed for many years to come see you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. What is Spain for Paul? Spain is this area that is untouched. This is the unengaged. This is the unreached. Paul said, this is where I'm going. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you're in God's will, you'll go to Spain, does he? Look what he says. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Here's Paul's point. When we respond to what God's doing, we rejoice we, we see what we're doing as, a, as an act of ministry. We trust God to do the miraculous. We go to those places that are yet to be touched with the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, all of us are a part of this. It's not just those who go. God calls us either to go, and some of us are privileged to do so, or to send. We're all a part of this. Paul says, When I come to Rome, I want to be refreshed. And friends, one of the greatest things that you can do as a church is what happened this morning. To encourage those who are back from the field and and bless them and honor them. And bless what God is doing through them. And be a support and encouragement to them. Because they dare not go alone. We do this together. Probably the most important thing we can do together is what Paul says in verse 30. And this is the final point. Paul says this. 
as we're working together. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. What is the most important thing you can do this morning as a part of what God is doing? It might surprise you that I don't say it's to go. But it's not. The most important thing you can do is to pray. You see, what we do when we go is dependent upon a God who works in response to the prayers of his people. A number of years ago, Janelle and Jared were traveling somewhere. I don't know where they were, and Janelle, you might could tell me, but as they were traveling, Janelle texted me and said, Dad, why does Christar have this requirement of 100 daily prayer partners. Christar has a very unique requirement. Every one of our people that goes out, every one of our couples and families must have a, 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 a partnership of people who say, I will pray for you every day. And some of you have been prayer partners for Sheree. I want to say thank you. I responded to her with great joy in the fact that she's asking a good question. And my answer is, I don't know why we require 100. That number, I don't know. But I can tell you why, biblically, we require people to have daily prayer partners. It goes back to Exodus chapter 17. You remember the story. Israel was going out to fight against the Amalekites. And Moses said to Aaron, or to Joshua, take the army and go out and, and confront the Amalekites. And, and when Moses uh, sent them down into the valley to fight, where did Moses go? Was he, was he getting out of there? No. He went up on the hillside. You remember the story? And it says that as Moses was lifting his hands up, what happened? They won. The children of Israel won the battle. But as the day went on, his arms got tired, as ours would too. And so Aaron and her were proactive. They said, sit down, Moses. And they grabbed his arms and they held him up. And, and you've probably heard the application to this story as, as a very true one. We need to support our leaders. I agree with that completely. But here's the other application we never want to miss. Where was the battle won? The battle was won on the hillside because there was someone standing before God on behalf of those who were going. And friends, to this day, we will not allow anyone to go out and serve among least reached Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims without a hundred daily prayer partners. And I could tell you story after story how God intervenes. And that's why Paul calls the church in Rome to strive together with him in prayer. Let's do that now. Father, this morning we rejoice again in your amazing grace, your amazing goodness to us. You have blessed us with what we do not deserve. You have taken our guilt and you've placed it on Christ. You've covered our shame with the righteousness of Christ. You've transformed our fears with the peace with God. We say thank you. You do fulfill your promises. You do intervene. You don't just leave us alone. But Father, in response to what you're doing 
would you help us to honor you, to delight in you, to see our involvement, our participation in your work as an act of worship. Lord, protect us from doing our work in our own strength. Protect us from staying only where the gospel is, but may we look continually to where it isn't. Father, may you be pleased as we work together and as we pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.